After almost one year, the NBA's investigation into Robert Sarver, the Phoenix Suns organization, and the toxic workplace that was initially alleged back in November of 2021, that investigation now complete. We have the results. We have the final report. We'll talk about what is in that report, why it all went down the way that it did, and how it will all work for the Suns here in 2023, coming up on today's episode of Locked on Suns. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns. For the past five seasons and a writer at Suns.com and Dime Magazine, a big thanks for making Locked On Suns your go-to place on days like this. Your first listen every single day, news breaks, or you just wake up and want some basketball coverage, we are here. Hit subscribe on YouTube, on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure you don't miss a show. We're free. We're everywhere. Keep us that way by supporting. And by supporting, all you have to do is listen. You can follow us. On Twitter, at LockedOnPHXSuns to keep up as well. But we have a big show to get to, so let's dive right in. Aaron Edwards is here to help us sift through the wreckage, I think is the right word for it, Aaron. On a, a day we've been waiting for, like I said, for almost a year, um, the Robert Sarver results are out. Uh, the investigation results are out. Um, I'm going to give some initial takeaways, very, very straightforward to the point. We're going to break down a lot of what's in this report verbatim. We're going to talk about all of the things that went into it and what kind of comes next for this organization. My initial takeaways, Aaron, three simple things. One, the allegations in Baxter Holmes' report were mostly all true. You can go line by line in this report they referenced the ESPN piece over and over and over, and almost to a T, everything in there was true, which means my number two takeaway, the denials by Robert Sarver, by Jason Rowley, by people like Steve Kerr, Steve Nash, Larry Fitzgerald, were either covering for Sarver, or they were just out of the crossfire of what was clearly a pattern of bad behavior, or they just outright lied. And number three, I don't see any reason why this investigation Having now looked at the report and the results of it and everything else, I don't know why it took 10 months for it all to play out. What what was your initial reaction to everything that, that kind of came out this morning as the NBA released its findings? Um, it was shocking, like, seeing how much was true and just the suspension in general, just the slap on the wrist he got. I think that was probably, like, the main takeaway that people got. And then, like, the longer I sat with it, it was pretty much... I think he tried, he pretty much backtracked once the investigation started and it worked for him because I think for the most part, he just tried to argue intent at that point. <laughs> and when you start arguing intent, you can kind of do anything. And that's why I think Adam Silver is stuck with a pretty bad president uh, precedent. Yeah. If you're just going to be able to argue intent with most things that are terribly done. So I think he kind of backed himself into a corner now because anybody can argue intent and say, I didn't mean it to be that bad. And you can't really argue that unless you like 
do something really hard the first time and he didn't do it the first time so anybody can do it from now on yeah i think a through line in us talking about this right now in this show in the 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 coming weeks is going to be that there was no smoking gun and and i think you've been really good on sticking with that every time it's come up when we've talked about it on the show throughout the the whole year that it's been going on because you know that's the key difference between this situation and the Donald Sterling situation or um, Marge shot like a long time ago in baseball. I think she was the Reds owner and she had some like extremely anti-Semitic like Nazi sympathizer type of stuff that was documented. Without that, it is very argue uh, easy, like you said, to argue intent. I want to get into what's in the report uh, a little bit right now. So as you mentioned Uh, The punishment side of things, the NBA has suspended Robert Sarver for one year from both the Suns and Mercury organizations based on the league investigation. Robert Sarver has also been fined $10 million and will complete a training program focused on respect and appropriate workplace conduct. Uh, We can get in later to uh, what what the the legitimacy of that might actually end up being, but... um, (laughs) Other things that were in the report, this is from the statement the NBA released, and then I have a, a quote from the report that I think in kind of uh, illustrates exactly what we're talking about. But to go through quickly the main findings, the main, uh, I think at this point they're beyond allegations. They're basically charges if it was a, a criminal investigation, right? Uh, Sarver said the N-word at least five times in repeating what a black person said, four of those after being told by both black and white subordinates that he should not use the word. Sarver used language and engaged, and I'm paraphrasing here. Sarver used language and engaged in conduct demeaning of female employees, including telling a pregnant employee that she would be unable to do her job coming when she came back, berating a female employee in front of others, and then commenting that women cry too much, arranging a lunch with uh, employees at his other company to explain how they could better handle his demands. Sarver commented and made jokes frequently to employees in large and small settings about sex and sex-related anatomy including crude ones, physical appearances of female employees and other women, and inappropriate physical conduct conduct toward male employees. And then lastly, but not leastly, over 50 current and former employees reported that Sarver frequently engaged in demeaning and harsh treatment of all employees that on occasion constituted bullying under workplace standards. I want to come back to that part of the workplace standards and the bullying in a second. Um, Does any of that... In particular, jump out to you, Aaron. Is there anything uh, there that stands out? Um, I mean, it's been standing out for a year, like you said. I don't really. It was we knew the stories already, and once they decided or found out that they were true, we went back to square one. Like we all kind of just figured this all already. Yeah. And so it really just, we're back to a year ago. We got the story a year ago and we all read the stuff and everybody was shocked and we waited a year to find out if it was true. And now that it is, it's like, we're back in that same spot again and nobody really felt like anything kind of happened. Yeah. So I want to get to the smoking gun part. I agree with you. Um, I'm glad that it, I didn't think it would, but the emphasis that I've been putting the whole time is like, this is a toxic environment. This is not an okay place to work. That's the stuff that I thought would be the most damning uh, in terms of the NBA cracking down. I think that's where most of the punishment comes into play, which we'll talk about later on. But it, let's get to this smoking gun thing and sort of um, what the report says 
to that end. So here's one quote. While it is difficult, and this this was in the NBA statement, a portion of this was in the NBA statement about uh, the, the kind of motivation behind Sarver's actions, and it speaks to a little bit of what you said, so I want to read straight from it. It said, quote, while it is difficult to identify with precision what motivated Sarver's workplace behavior described in this report, certain patterns, patterns emerged from witness accounts. Sarver often acted aggressively in an apparent effort to provoke a reaction. Sarver's sense of humor was sophomoric and inappropriate for the workplace, and Sarver behaved as though workplace norms and policies did not apply to him. Witnesses observed that Sarver, quote, lacked a filter and, quote, thrived off saying th- and doing things to make others uncomfortable. In light of these accounts and the totality of the evidence reviewed by investigators, the investigation makes no finding, this is the important part, that Sarver's conduct was motivated by racial or gender-based animus. This is the problem I had with the initial statement, Aaron, and I think we should spend some time on it here. Um... If what he did and what was backed up by the findings of this investigation don't count as motivated by racial or gender-based animus, then I don't know what does. Yeah, I think... Unless you just go up to a group of people and say, I hate this group of people, I hate that group of people. What else? What else? Like, he did everything short of that. I think it's... And, like, yes, he, like, deserved a bigger suspension, but I think this is... If you look at it in a certain way, this is kind of more damning to Sarver, Sarver because essentially, even though I don't agree with what Adam Silver did, I think he came to the conclusion that Sarver is a dork. Like, he's not evil. And I think that was pretty much what the punishment was based off of. It was like, this dude's a dummy. Like, I'm sorry, he's extremely dumb, but he's not evil, I don't think. And I like that just seems like where they drew the line at, that he was just a dumb dude that was being like a childish rich dude at work. Like that's pretty much what he was doing. And the elite just assessed that it wasn't evil. It was just really stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It's disappointing, but I think you're reading it correctly. I, it's kind of, I, I listen to the Dan Lebitard show a lot and Amin El Hassan is on there often and he worked for the Suns. Obviously most Suns fans know who he is. He was on ESPN for a long time, et cetera. He, He basically put it this way all the way back last year when this all was coming out. That was kind of his read. He's like, Sarver's an idiot. Like, you know, that was in no simple terms kind of what he said. Um, Like he told a story about uh, playing a game of pickup where Sarver tried to come in and he starts getting like overly frisky with guys and like just all these stories that people have um, that if you're maybe not the recipient of them, it it can be read that way. I, I don't think that's an unfair way to to read the situation but here's the last thing i want to get into on that note in terms of what's actually in the report so i'll read one more thing i understand i've been uh, i try to read quickly um quote (laughs) over 50 witnesses provided examples of sarver managing his employees by yelling or cursing at them including conduct conduct the sun's workplace policy prohibits as bullying at least 10 witnesses said this treatment extended to senior management Uh, Witnesses gave examples of Sarver reacting harshly over matters both significant and trivial. Sarver's harsh treatment of employees included using expletives when reprimanding them. Um, Here's the the key thing. So that was just a, a summary of some of what's in there. Then the report goes on to say, quote, When asked by investigators about his reportedly harsh treatment of employees, Sarver said he holds employees accountable and can be, quote, short with them, but he denied yelling at employees. 
When confronted with the specific examples enumerated two paragraphs above, Sarver acknowledged that he, quote, may have raised his voice in connection with some of them. The investigation finds that Sarver frequently mistreated employees by raising his voice and cursing at them, often in front of others, including instances of bullying. So, Aaron, what I come down on is he, he seemed to treat the investigators like they're stupid, and he broke his own freaking workplace policy conduct book. So it's like, in any other walk of life, this dude would be fired. Like... If Mark Zuckerberg did all this stuff and, and an investigation found that, that it was legitimate, if Jeff Bezos, if whoever you want to point to did this, they broke their own policy of the workplace that they run, and then they were disrespectful and in some cases just like outright ridiculous when they were being investigated. I don't understand, even if it's that he, he's a goof rather than a racist or a bigot, okay, goofs probably shouldn't be running businesses. <laughs> I, I think this the league didn't want to deal with the long-term effects of taking this dude's team because he seems petty enough and just dorky and dumb enough. Like, he just seems like the type of billionaire. Sterling, like, he was done. Like, he – I mean, he still sued the league, but I still think that Sarver would have really, like, stretched this out in a way that the league kind of just didn't want to deal with. So I think that the fact that they didn't really have the smoking gun that they wanted to put the nail in it, made them just have to do this because they didn't want to go through the whole huge court and just appeal and all that scandal yeah. that this would have dragged out to because I really think Sarver would have definitely done that. I think we can probably read through the lines and say that he kind of already did it. And I think the key word uh, in there that you didn't include it is I would add prideful to it, right? Like, uh, like I think that's a key part of all this and not just with Sarver, but with everybody involved, I will add Sterling's lawsuit failed. So I feel like his, uh, his idiocy was actually further illustrated by that lawsuit. He wasted a bunch of his own money after he got kicked out of the league. Um, but you're bringing us right to where I want to go, which is why it all played out this way. Some more of that smoking gun versus no smoking gun type of stuff. And I actually do want to get more into the Sterling, side of all of this first go today's show guys brought to you by bet online bet online is your number one source all year long for what football right now of course pro and college just starting up i won fantasy week one yeah you can uh, you can send your congratulations in the comments i did not bet on any games because i'm scared uh championship uh sorry champions league in soccer going on the world cup not too far away it's the busiest time of the sports calendar baseball playoffs the nba is not too far away Week two odds are up. When I last recorded, I did not have Cardinals odds, but they are six-point underdogs on the road in Las Vegas. I think that's more than fair. I would not advocate putting your money there, but uh, maybe it'll make you feel better after week one. My way of feeling better is to not watch, but either way, you do you. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events. Head to the website today. That's betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more about the latest trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. Okay, Aaron, so you've made reference to it several times in terms of no uh, smoking gun. I, feel, I found a passage in this, uh, in the report itself that we can all very clearly um know who's being talked about and I think it's it's helpful because it's about the main sort of character in the initial Baxter Holmes piece which is Earl Watson um, and his situation here so 
Obviously, his agent was Rich Paul. There's been a lot of discussion over the years about the the, the way that Rich Paul being black and uh, his relationship to LeBron and the way that they've gone around the normal power structures of the league has rubbed people the wrong way. We know Robert Sarver got in the middle of that. And basically, since that point, Clutch Sports has not dealt with the Suns at all. So this kind of gets into that. I'll read it right here. Quote, the investigation finds that the coach did, in fact, bring up race with Sarver in connection with the dispute regarding his agency. That this issue was front of mind for the coach, being Earl Watson at the time, is corroborated by emails, not with Sarver, reflecting the coach Watson's perception of the incident and by the recollections of two team staffers to whom the coach reported that he thought Sarver's threat had racial overtones Nevertheless, the investigation does not find that Sarver opposed the coach's continued representation by the agency, which is clutch, because its founder, Rich Paul, is black or fired the coach for that reason. Sarver was upset with the agency's tactics concerning the player, Bledsoe, and had received the recommendation to fire the coach from his basketball operations staff and appears to have acted on the basis of these factors. It's a case of he said, he said, right? Like, that's what this is. That was always the main difference between Sarver and Sterling. There's no tape of Sterling using of Sarver using racial slurs, insulting Magic Johnson, being disgusting about who gets to attend the games of the team he owns. It's this stuff. It's Sarver being able to say, "Well, I just didn't like how the Bledsoe thing played out, and uh, Ryan McDonough told me to fire Earl Watson, so I did." Right? Like that's what this is. Yeah, yeah, and I think like. When I saw that Earl Watson was a main piece of this, like you kind of saw the writing on the wall. Like he was like mad what the sun, mad about what the Suns did. But at the same time, like he wasn't a great coach and he should have been fired. So it wasn't like we had like this really like big mouthpiece for to move this thing forward to get Robert Sarver in like this huge trouble that we were all hoping for. The fact that Earl Watson was one of the main voices in this kind of was a detriment at the end of the day because a dude that was fired for being bad at his job isn't necessarily going to really get the point across. It's the it's like the Brian Flores thing in the NFL, right? It's like it's not like he won the Super Bowl, so there's always going to be that ability to bring up these things and because the person in power is the one being investigated and the person not in power is the one challenging that power, then that's what happens is the person that makes the decisions gets to attribute it to whatever they want. They have a built-in support and, and, and protection system, which is the league and the commissioner. Uh, a reminder in all of this, Adam Silver works for Robert Sarver, not vice versa. So this is, this is the dynamic. And it's going to take a lot more than even Donald Sterling or um, Stephen Ross getting accused credibly of anything for this stuff, this inherent dynamic to change. I don't know if there's ever a version where it changes. Um, <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do think that if like a recording, even like with the information that they have now, if you had a recording of him doing any of these things, like if it were to drop on TMZ in a couple of hours and the league just heard it, like I think just the fact that, yes, they got like he admitted to saying it and he admitted to doing some of this stuff. But I think just hearing it, even like a little part of it, would have changed the league's like view of it. Because once the auto, like once it's audibly out there and you hear the owner of the Suns saying the N-word, that's never going away. And I think if the league had something, 
that would have never gone away, then that would be fine. But and they would have been able to do it. But yeah. they don't have anything that's never going Think away. Think about how you felt. And I'll encourage people. I mean, it's not pleasant. But if you need a reminder, go back and listen to the the tape from What's Her Face. Um, and I'm not... Uh, v. Siviano. Yes, V. Siviano. Thank you. That sounded like <laughs> whoever she is. I mean it genuinely. I just cannot remember her name. Of that tape. It's it's like you're like skin curls if you feel differently than Donald Sterling. If you feel similarly, then I would recommend maybe like, you know, go somewhere else. I'm not sure why you're still or there. owning an NBA team. Yeah, go buy an NBA team. You'll fit right in. Um, but like, I agree with you. There's a complete difference between it, it's very easy to read on a page that it's like, well, he's he repeated it. But it's like it's a very different thing to hear it. And it's also a very different thing. Like I think of the example, which is corroborated very similar thing to what this clutch Watson, Bledsoe, Rich Paul fiasco, kind of the same way it's described, it, the Corliss Williamson thing um, from 2018-19, if people remember that, which was basically Corliss Williamson going on the record, he's not an assistant in the NBA anymore, if I'm remembering correctly, and just saying like, do talk to me like he kind of ran my stuff, like Got to got to control me way more than a boss controls an employee. Imagine hearing that. I, we don't know. There's no quotes of what was said in that situation. It's just, again, he said, he said. And then the NBA in the report basically says, like, Sarver denies that it had any racialized dynamics and that he apologizes if it gave Corliss Williamson, who grew up in the South, any vibes of the way that he was talked to growing up. And it's like, imagine if we heard that. But... So I very much echo your point. I want to get to, uh, let me lay this out for you in terms of the kind of, that's the smaller why of like the report and how it's written and how the investigation played out. I want to get to the bigger why of like some of these, these bigger dynamics that we're talking about. I kind of see it in these four steps. One, no smoking gun, which we've talked about a bunch. Two, and we haven't said this overtly yet, other owners have probably acted the same way, not just Donald Sterling. Throw a name out there, I would guess there's a chance this that dude acts like this dude acts. Number three, and we talked about this a little bit a minute ago about Sarver's response, I think it probably became clear as they talked to Robert Sarver that he was not just going to quietly sell the team. That happened with like Bob McNair with the Texans, very much went under the radar, he just sold the Texans. No idea why. Everybody knew he was a racist. He just decided he didn't want to be the owner anymore. That probably was a version of this that could have happened if Sarver just happily handed over control to John Najafi or whomever it might have been. Uh, number four, after those three steps, I think the fourth important factor is other owners were not going to vote to remove him on this basis of what was found in the report. And I think the NBA surveyed all of those things very quickly. That might have something to do with why it lasted so long. Um, and came to the conclusion that the Sarver is not going to save us from ourselves. The other 29 owners are not going to save us from ourselves. And so we are going to have to go out on a limb and, like you said, set a precedent. And this is what they chose to do. Does that sound right? Am I missing any factors or steps in that process? Yeah, because it was pretty clear everybody knew who Donald Sterling was already. And a lot of those dudes, he was cheap. He made the league look bad. Like, it wasn't just that he was racist. Like, Donald Sterling was messing with their money. And at the end of the day, they hate that more than anything. <laughs> 
And I, that's just what it is. And I think like, yes, like the video was like a godsend for the owners. They were like, yes, we can finally get this dude out of there. And Adam Silver was just starting the job. So he got to make a name for himself doing it. So I think all of those things coming together at once kind of helped the situation move quicker. Yeah. But with this, like, I think that Sarver, like, I mean, he still is a pretty cheap dude and he's not great to players, but the money is still coming in and he doesn't like, he's not messing with the money and he's probably acting a lot like some of these dudes really do act behind closed doors. So I think that they kind of just saw themselves in the mirror and were just like, no, we're not doing this. Yeah. It's also, yeah, it's, it's weird. I don't, I guess I understand your money point. That's probably the best answer for it. Cause I was going to bring up the idea of like, why is, why was Donald Sterling so much more hated than Robert Sarver is um, by the people. I understand there's another level to it. He was more outward with it. I've we've referenced when we've talked about this before, the dude was found guilty of racial redlining in the 1980s while he owned the team 30 years before it was taken from him. And it didn't matter. Uh, obviously it didn't, he didn't get uh, removed because the NBA probably didn't have the financial stability to, to pull something like that at the time when the league was still building um, it's just interesting because I don't think anybody really likes Robert Sarver that much. So it's not as if, I mean, I guess it is just protecting themselves, but you know, the bottom line is probably, uh, thinking out loud now that, uh, there was also that extra element of guys weren't going to play games and very important players yeah. like Chris Paul were going to continue to put pressure. We haven't seen that. I don't know if we will. I don't feel comfortable putting pressure on the dudes to put pressure on the league. And it's not my place to tell Chris Paul how to act. We'll see if it happens. I wanted to read this though, on the note of Sterling to close this segment out in terms of why, because uh, I think it illustrates exactly what we're talking about. This is Mark Cuban on the record after the Sterling decision uh, I believe had already come down or it was sort of understood what was going to happen. He said this to Tim McMahon at ESPN. He said, quote, I think there's a league constitution for a reason, right? Because this is a very slippery slope. What Donald said was wrong. It was abhorrent. There's no place for racism in the NBA, any business I'm associated with. And I don't want to be associated with people who have that position. But at the same time, that's a, a decision that I make. I think you've got to be very, very careful when you start making blanket statements about what people say and think, as opposed to what they do. It's a very, very slippery slope. Again, there's no excuse for his positions. There's no place for it in our league. But there is a very, very, very slippery slope. Is that enough varies for you? Do you think he was worried back then? A lot of those dudes were worried back then. And it, you can like, you could tell that Sterling forced their hand like they probably wanted it to happen but like I said earlier if a TMZ video dropped of Sarver saying the stuff that he said instead of it just being on paper the league would those owners would be kind of shook because they'd be like what if somebody's recording me like what if I like jokingly or regardless of your feelings or intent on it say something out of line and it comes out. I think they just all see, them, see themselves in situations like this and see how fast it could be over. Yeah, I'll just use this as an opportunity to remind people that, uh, not that I think a lot of media listens to this podcast, I'm sure it's mostly fans, but you don't have to have Mark Cuban on your shows and not ask him about this stuff. <laughs> you don't have to. It's okay not to. Um, bringing him on and asking him about 
Luca, and that's it. Um, when he didn't have any room for this in his companies, but he had room for a lot of other awful stuff, is uh, it's pretty despicable. But this is not a Mavericks podcast. I can uh, stop with the <laughs> anger toward Mark Cuban. Um, I want to talk about what happens more uh, internally. Like, what does this literally mean for the organization? What are some of our lingering questions about how this will all, the fallout of this, like, day to day? Not like, what does it mean for the racism in America or whatever? Not doing that conversation, but what does it mean for these people in the coming season? Because now this owner's not going to be here for the whole year. That's a very bizarre situation to be in. We'll talk about that right after one more quick break. Okay, Aaron, so coming off of this, I have two kind of main questions going forward. Um, One... Why there was no punishment for others like Andy Kohlberg, who's been there the whole time and went out on a limb for Robert Sarver, Jason Rowley, who is incredibly vehement uh, in his denials of these things. And one can assume as the president of the team, if you ever listen to presidents of teams or ex-presidents of teams talk, they are a 1B to the owner in almost every situation. I think Rowley is uh, no exception to that. He's been there, as, as far as I can remember, the entirety of the time that Sarver's been there. He's everywhere uh, that Sarver is. He makes all of the decisions. I don't know why he wasn't necessarily involved in any of this as a person who co-ran the organization. And the number two is who calls the shots while Sarver is away. Um, which of those things are kind of connected, because those might be two of the people who would have a say, um, which, which of those things, uh, speaks to you the most? Um, I think it kind of says that even if you're a higher up in the Sarver's like regime, like he's still the man and you're pretty much just his mouthpiece. Like, I think the league didn't go for those other people because he just, those aren't really positions that he cares about. I don't think they really had a job other than being yes men for Sarver. And I think they just didn't want to punish dudes who when a higher up, like the main guy in the organization is super powerful and he kind of wields it that way. So I think that with the president and like all the uh, other higher ups in the organization, silver and the league just treated it like, no, like this is Sarver. He made these people this way. And their mouthpieces for him. And that's all it really is. Yeah. Yeah. I want to correct myself. He, uh, rally has been president for a decade. So he came on in 2012, which was eight years after basically once Robert Sarver, uh, kind of fully got control of things when there was no more Steve Kerr, no more, um, you know, that kind of old guard, no more Steve Nash at that, basically around that same time that to me, uh, just, and this is, totally not a a conjecture completely but my assumption is that's when we're really talking about things getting particularly bad and I could see that like people like Amino Hassan and uh, Raja Bell these people weren't around the past decade and I do think there's been a particular decay of everything in this time so I have to admit I did expect that somebody like Raleigh would at least get caught in the crossfire a little bit some of these other people who have been around the whole time um Melissa Goldenberg, I'm not just throwing names to like point fingers, but I'm just letting people behind the curtain a little bit. She's been the general counsel for an incredibly long time too. I just feel like it's surprising to me that there wasn't a better, a higher level of accountability on the people who are carrying stuff out day to day. Like 
I know Sarver's culture creates the culture. I just have a hard time imagining that these things were one-offs and that when he wasn't around, everything was awesome. And then he would come around and, and do bigotry a couple times a year and then stuff. You know what I mean? Like not to make light of it, but yeah, that does, that's not oh, how no, stuff works. It's like, no, it's no way a dork in an a-hole that big would not hire other a-hole dorks. Like it's just not how it works. And it's like never going to be how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe, maybe there's more to come. Maybe we have seen a lot of departures already. Um, over the years, yeah, Melissa Goldenberg has been the general counsel, I believe, since it's on her LinkedIn, it says since 2014. She also worked with him at Western Alliance Bank Corporation, the bank that he owned. So just these people who have been trusted colleagues for a long time, it's, I guess the way I'll put it is, if I worked for the Suns, I would not be totally comfortable just because Sarver's not there, right? Because these people yeah. are still there and they at least in, uh, empowered him to act the way that he was and didn't put a stop to it or didn't quit. Like we've seen people, Baxter Holmes has reported these people quit. So anyway, I want to get to um, some of the things that were implemented here um, because there was a lot. So uh, the personnel, they, the, I think the quote in the report, Aaron, was uh, historically deficient was what they called the HR department. Um, so basically it didn't do its job for a long time. And so here's what they're doing uh, in, that the NBA is mandating as a result of this investigation. They're increasing the number of employees in the people and culture department. That's a new department. If you've been paying attention, the NBA hired uh, a person to run that department during, I don't know if it was, I believe it was during the span of the investigation. It may have been shortly beforehand. Um, they are updating the Suns employee handbook, revising the respect in the workplace policy, issuing a tone from the top statement, which... I'm sure that will uh, that will work. Conducting employee handbook and respect in the workplace policy training for senior leaders within the Suns organization. Instituting quarterly briefings of the CEO president from the SVP of People and Culture and the General Council on workplace compliance. Conducting trainings, instituting reporting initiatives for incidents of misconduct, including an anonymous hotline, creating an investigation response team, instituting a new parent and child bonding leave policy. Um, there was some other stuff in here that I didn't copy into the notes that require like mandating reporting uh, to the NBA. And if they're missed, there's punishments. So it feels like the NBA is going to be holding the Suns' hands for a long time after this. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I've never worked in a big corporation like this. I mean, I work at ASU. There's some similarities. Um, it just feels like... Again, if you're not cutting the roots out and you're just replacing the branches, I, I guess like I know I'm being a little bit sarcastic and, and flippant. I don't mean to like make light of it, but like I don't have a reason to believe this stuff will work. Yeah, I think that things were so bad that the league is just trying to get to sun the Suns to at least break even, I guess. <laughs> like they're just trying to like get them in like the white. And it seems like the HR just wasn't doing anything so pretty much everything you named on that list was just making it an hr department right now like yeah. that's really all that they that's did they were one. they yeah. made yeah they created an hr and that's literally all they did because we did not have one it's uh it's crazy i have one other lingering question but i want to i feel like i've been reading and talking a lot so it doesn't even have to be related to like how this will play out for the organization is there anything 
we haven't hit on or that's on your mind about all of this that uh, that you wanna that you wanna talk about before we close things out? Um, my excitement with like mending stuff, like maybe we can get like with Sarber gone for at least a year. I would just like I think we have the most legends that don't come back in like the NBA, I think. And I would just like to see Amari at a game. I'd like to see like fix things with Sean Marion. Like I would just like to see some of the dudes that I grew up with come back with Sarver gone. And that's probably a thing that I would like hope for the most with him out of here for a year at least. I want to ask this isn't actually the lingering question that I had, but kind of on that note. I, I was looking through like the Sun subreddit just to kind of see what fans were saying. And I, th- I there were people who were like, he won't come back. Um, <laughs> do you, I guess this is a little bit broader, but we don't have to do it in terms of like, uh, you know, what CNN's going to have to say about this or like, you know, when they make M- Bomani Jones do the rounds this, this week because... <laughs> they care. They care again. Um, but more like, how do you think this will linger over the game? Like, I saw somebody who was like, "They're ruining a second straight season." Uh, that was one of the subreddit comments that people like did not agree with uh, because it was like, "How did they ruin last year? It was sixty-four wins, and they were the championship favorites." I don't think that got ruined, but this will be a bigger cloud, and it'll also it could hamper decision making. Like, I'm. I think the obvious some of the stuff is like. Who gets to make a decision about the luxury tax? Who gets to make hiring yeah. and firing decisions? Because that stuff matters, you know. Like, I don't know. How do you think this will this will play out there, or do you think the culture of the basketball side is still just going to be strong enough to kind of withstand it? Um, it depends on like, like you said, like who has the power to do some of this stuff now? Can James Jones still like do whatever he wants? Like at this point, he's spending a guy's money that's not going to be here for a year. And I don't really know how that works when you're spending somebody's money who doesn't get to be involved in something. Like I really have no clue how that's supposed to work when we still have moves to make and people to get picks to give up money to put into this. Like, I just don't know how you do that with the main guy not being allowed to have any involvement with the team. It, Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of that stuff gets handled at a lower level, but also there's some decisions that are just like, they have to be, they have to be big. And I don't know, I I would imagine the end, I would hope, I guess the NBA maybe not publicly has implemented like rules for that. Maybe it's kind of similar to like the Pelicans thing, the Hornets thing when they ended up vetoing the Chris Paul trade and all that. But that was like, the NBA was just running that team. I wonder if it's sort of like, that um in terms of like the operational stuff but then like you said there's some strategy based stuff that i would imagine it's going to be james jones like mike vigil of uh of the the time or what is that podcast called yes um the the timeline has been saying this for a while like the hiring of morgan cato and some of these other people like jones has seemed to be uh, operating kind of like, remember how Morgan Cato, the new assistant GM said she hadn't met Robert Sarver in that interview. Yeah. <laughs> like I, it kind of feels like that stuff's been happening for a long time now. Um, at least for the summer, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously think one of the big questions too, is just like, do the players or anybody involved here start to speak out? Um, 
Now, because like, if you remember the night they played the Rockets, the night that this came out and they were asked about it post game and, and a little while thereafter, they all said, I want to see the results. So they're going yeah. to be asked about Seems it, like, right? Because that's what yeah. they held themselves to. And fairly or unfairly, they 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 work for the guy. They're going to be asked. And I don't know what they'll say, but I don't know if there's a lot for them to say because, again, it is so mostly vague. Yeah, it seems like Crowder's the only one that tweeted about it. And he's been tweeting like he's not going to be a part of this team next uh, this season. So I don't really – he's the only one. So, like, I don't really know who else, like, is going to speak out. I didn't see Jay's tweet. Oh, he just said, wow. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It'll, it won't be long. Media days in two weeks. So we'll see. The last thing I was going to say, just as a parting thought uh, along these lines, um, one thing that wasn't mentioned in this report is, is Robert Sarver's wife, which Baxter Holmes reported was tampering with in uh, like witnesses and, and interview subjects in the during the investigation um the report doesn't name her i i command f'd it uh she's not in there so (laughs) it's a little weird to me um that that wasn't substantiated or or really commented on but like i just have that question too like is she allowed to be around his his sons are around a lot they're older they're adults are they allowed to be there i i mean i would assume this stuff got hashed out behind the scenes it's just a little strange that it wasn't made public Maybe it will be. I'm sure Baxter will have more, but uh, so will we. We'll see what else comes out throughout the week. Uh, Thank you guys for locking in here. That was not supposed to be a pun, but it ended up that way. Uh, We'll keep it here all week. Please hit subscribe. Please hit follow. Drop me a comment below with your thoughts on what's going on. If you care about the semantics or you just want them out, I know there's a lot of people who feel that way. I'm sorry uh, that there's not a lot of uh, closure with this whole thing, but We'll see what else comes out. We'll be here every step of the way for it. Media day in two weeks, training camp right after, lots and lots to come. Until then, guys, make Locked on NBA your second listen to catch up on everything else going on around the league.